Gene Shepherd from the village limelight. That oscillating, moving, quiet saucepan of farina out there is bubbling and hissing. Shall we drop just a little brown sugar on it? Shall we call them to worship? Or shall we point the way to the fiery furnace? Which one of you would... If you had your choice, and they said two doors marked heaven, hell, and you were given your choice, and you're standing there, which way would you go? In there you hear the sound of lutes playing. You hear the sound of heavenly choruses singing on and on. And over here in this door, you hear, Woo! 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 There you stand, you know, faced by the reality. Which would you pick? All right, folks, all together, all of those in favor of the whoopee hollerers, let's hear it. Hey, wait a minute, where's the horn? He missed it. All right, let's go. Hold it there. Hold it, everyone there. Grab a hold of the handlebars there. Easy now. Get your mitt out. But who wants to knock out some flies tonight? How about a game of catch? Okay, there are the two doors. One marked heaven, the other marked hell. In fact, I suspect that most of us today would consider it a rotten, dirty, calumnious lie if we arrived at that great bar of justice beyond the pearly gates. And they look down at you and they start going through that big book. They look right at you. They say, well, you're here at last, aren't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And then he looks down with that great flowing white beard and says, let's take a look at your record. Do you remember April 13th, 1949? <laughs> well, no, actually. I, April 13th, 1949. He says, well, we remember it. Let's see. Do you remember July 7th, 1953? A 1951 Mercury? You were in the front seat on your way to Howard Johnson's. Do you remember that night? He said, yeah. Oh, it was great, yeah. There's a quiet pause. And then that great figure looks down and says, Okay, take him to heaven. And you look up. Wait a minute. Suddenly you feel cheated. The others knew something you didn't know. Suddenly their sin was more dynamic than yours. By the way, wouldn't you like to be the first in your neighborhood to discover a new sin? <laughs> I mean, before they made it illegal. You know, and you're in there quietly, you know, in the, in the front porch there, next to the swing, performing your own sin. <laughs> and they don't know about it, you're trying to hide it, and then you try to get it patented. <laughs> Everyone wants to... <laughs> all right, stop it, Donna. All right, now all set out there, Marty? All right, eins, fine, yeah. <laughs> yes. All right now, all together, gang. Let's hear it with real hate. Just pour it out of those nice, friendly American faces. Let's hear it. Excelsior, you fatty!
squeezing this outfit. I want you to shut up. All right, parade rest. And now, W.O.R., recognizing the fact that it does have a public responsibility, and also recognizing that its public responsibility does not stop with merely telling you the time of day and the weather on the John Gambling Show, it recognizes that there is nothing needed so much in this world than a genuine escape valve. Something we all need in this day of the dynamic nice guy. Do you know that millions of kids in schools everywhere are being taught to adjust? To be friendly little guys. Oh yeah, they're, 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 no matter what happens, they gotta understand it. And so this little lout comes up to him. And by the way, how many, uh, this is a man thing. I'm looking at nothing but the men. I don't think this happens to the women. How many men in this crowd? Oh, every one of you had to have it. That fantastic, unforgettable moment of truth that is right with you now, sticking to the ribs, you know, like oatmeal. That moment of truth that happens to every male when some guy comes up to you on the playground and says, All right, knock it off. Knock it off my shoulder. Come on, knock it off. What's the matter, you chicken? <laughs> you know that moment, men, when you either got to knock it off the guy's shoulder or else forevermore carry a fantastic load of guilt. How many guys here in this crowd didn't knock it off the shoulder <laughs> and tried to understand? Well, I understand that you are a product of an aggressive environment. You say to Bolas Rakowski. And he said, what was that? And you say, well, I don't believe in violence. And at that moment, you start picking teeth out of your ears. <laughs> and you know that terrible feeling of going home after this public disgrace and arriving home your shirt is torn open. There's dirt on the side where you landed in the cinders, you know. Your elbow is belted and bulging out. You've got a cut under your eye. And your mother says, you've been fighting. <laughs> you've been fighting. You've been cringing. I'll tell you, there's very few fighters in this world. There's a lot of duckers. There's a lot of guys that try to hide under the cinder tracks. And I don't think women have this. I don't think they know this problem. Well, I received a note about three days ago that said that next week is National Back to School Week. How many little squirts out there in the darkness are waiting? <laughs> they see that day coming. Their tog, you know, is coming closer and closer. Of course, girls love it. Somehow chicks almost invariably love it. This is part of their world because somehow I think the world of understanding things and loving things and being sweet, getting your own way with your own little stainless steel fangs <laughs> hidden under gold lame. This is the girl's world, really. It's a girl's world. Oh, it ain't that way out on the playground. Believe me, the kids are fighting for every insurance. Have you ever gone to your right for a ground ball and some guy sticks out his foot and down you go? 
And he stands there looking at you. Yeah. National back to school week. Let us for one brief moment consider the terror that is being felt by millions of little kids right now knowing that they are about to be publicly disgraced. Have you ever had the feeling that life itself is a continuing pattern, a continuing process of attempting to evade embarrassment? Just to stop being embarrassed. That's what education is, really, you know. If you can learn everything about Greek literature, they'll never embarrass me. You, you, don't, you don't give a damn for the Greeks, you know. <laughs> what do you care about the Odyssey, the Iliad, nothing? Somehow, if things get rough, you can say, well, uh, as Aeschylus said, <laughs> attempting to evade the issue. Guys learn to finger paint. People go to movies. Millions of people go to plays every week here in New York to prevent the embarrassment of not going. I mean, to, to admit, I mean, honestly, to admit, I think Albie is right. Why, you know, what is this? Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? You know, who's, you know, ah, come on. Who wants to say that? And so it goes. Well, tonight, I decided before we got on the air to try, because I'm so tired of books where they talk about how beautiful it is, your, your happy days or childhood days. Forget it. Oh, man, these are, the, these are the scariest days of a guy's life, and you know it. But we never admit it. And I can remember one of the things that I will carry forever, and I think most kids today miss this, because schools are almost all devoted to one thing. Don't make the little lout feel insecure. <laughs> when, as a matter of fact, that's what he needs more than anything else. Because I believe this is an insecure world. I mean, you know, that's the way life is, you know. Lightning bolts, thunderstorms, hail, Mack trucks, fist fights in the dark, the whole scene. But when a kid gets out of school today, he's not prepared for it. Well, I came out of another world. I came out of Mr. Pittenger's world. Isn't that a hateful name, Pittenger? Just think of it. Say it yourself, Pittenger. Pittenger. This isn't Wally Peepers. This isn't Pittenger. Well, Mr. Pittenger taught algebra at Hammond High. And Mr. Pittenger had one of those bland... It's hard to describe the kind of iron-gray hair that's cut low. He had absolutely no emotion. None. I don't recall one moment Mr. Pittenger ever smiling. But I do remember one thing about Pittenger. He'd stand up by the board. He had this kind of a stance. And he just looked down. <laughs> there I am, you know. Sitting about 28 rows back. My name was S, you know. Guys, I think a whole lot... Have you ever noticed a whole lot of people never get ahead because their names are at the back of the alphabet? <laughs> I'm serious. They all in all schools they they sit you by alphabet, and if your name is X and Y, you never heard of a president whose name started with Y. You know, it's never going to work. You're too far away from the board. You can't see anything. You're faking it all your life, you know. And you're way back there, and you're sitting back with the X's and the Y's and the W's and the you know. And I and there I am, way back with the S's, and I could just see this shadowy figure standing up there. Speaking of shadowy figures, that was interesting. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
so soon yet already. What's happening out there? <laughs> well, I, 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 I remember all summer. Now, because this, this, this show is going to be directed particularly to kids that are making the transition from grade school to high school or from high school to college. When you're in eighth grade, you know, you're an eighth grader. You've made the scene. You know, you know, Mrs. Bailey, you're the top kid in, the, in, in grade school. There's a feeling of, of, of you're on top of it. Well, this was the way it was when I was in eighth grade. Everything worked. I was the biggest kid. I was a short, fat kid. was wide. I weighed 205 in the eighth grade. I'd just push guys over, just go like that. You know? Yeah, a short bullet head. I'd hit them like that. And I was on the eighth grade football team. Just hit guys. You know, a little short run. It was like a little bowling ball with feet, you know. And I was. You know, my mother always referred to me as husky. You know how the ads say, the short, stout, husky lad. Actually, they mean the little, short, fat slob. And, <laughs> Too many helpings of mashed potatoes and red cabbage that they're eating away. So I'm this little fat, and I just hit them, you see. Well, all of a sudden, it's, the, it's that great summer. I'm out of grade school, and I'm about to go into high school. Well, I'm all excited. You know that fantastic excitement? And the high school was all the way across town and was a big one. 3,000 kids, one of these great big brick plants with a football field. You know, that whole scene, I came out of this, this little grade school where they had buildings called portables. You ever seen those little wooden buildings, you know, and things? Everything's under control. And there at the other end of town was Hammond High. And, oh, this is a big, you know, big thing, right? It's about 3,000 kids in the school, tremendous school. But yet, the reality of life in eighth grade had not yet seeped in. I thought it was an extension of Mrs. Bailey. My eighth grade homeroom teacher, you know, was a little short, fat mother type. She'd sit up there, you know, and she was always crying and things like that. Oh, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. And she, she knew us all by our first names and knew our mothers and that whole scene. You know, you could, it was just like going from one mother to another. And Mrs. Bailey would sit there in her dewlaps and wiggle, and she'd look down. Well, school was a pleasant, warm thing. And I got the card about, about this time of the year, the, the, the registration card, and it said, you are now registered in room 220, homeroom, Miss Snyder. Report to Miss Snyder, 8 a.m., the day after Labor Day, which came on a Sunday. And I, there it was, you know. <laughs> Already I'm behind, you know. <laughs> It says report at 8 o'clock, and, and somehow the name Miss Snyder sounded like Miss, Mrs. Bailey, you know, Miss Snyder. Well, at 8 o'clock, I'm sharp, I'm dressed in my best graduation suit from eighth grade, you know, with a tinfoil tie, the, you know, big wide one, standing there with the, you know, the whole scene. Why is it that mothers believe that they should dress a kid up on his first day of school, thereby scarring him for life? How many guys dress up their first day at work, you know? And so I'm all dressed up, and I'm wearing, it, wearing this little short coat and the whole scene. I'm fat, you know, and I arrive. You know, I always, kids that are fat don't think they're fat yet, you know. They really don't. You know, you're not, you're not aware of these little subtleties. And I arrive at school, and here is this fantastic thing. And it was before the day, by the way. Mothers did not believe in going to school with the kids. Never go to school with the kids. And, and her, whole, her whole attitude was summed up in one thing. 
You made your own bed, lay in it. You, go, you, you graduated from eighth grade? All right, go. Go on. Go to Hammond High now. You asked for it. Go ahead. So I'm standing there on my way to school. Well, at 8 o'clock, now I want you to just try to, for a minute, and it's very difficult, to remember the inscrutable quality that the world has to a 13-year-old kid. It's, it's inexplicable. It cannot be explained. It's monolithic. It's giant. And particularly when you run into the outside. Well, I arrived at Hammond High, and millions of kids, big kids, you know, the big guys with the sweaters. And, you know, because after all, the difference between a, a senior in high school, who is maybe 17 or 18, and a 13-year-old little round bowling ball arriving is a tremendous... <laughs> these guys, you know... And they're all, get all right, kid, you know, walking in. And they got, they got the, the, the chinos and the sweaters, and I'm wearing this little graduation suit. There's a whole bunch of other little squirts sparkled in there, you know. And, and once in a while, you'd see a familiar terror-stricken face in the crowd. Hi, Al, Al. And you see him crying. Hi, and you sort of cling together, and they say, where, where are you going, Al? Alex Joshua, who I hated in grade school, you know. I'm clinging to Joshua. I said, where are you going, Joshua? He says, I don't know. Is it going to cut? Room 117, Mr. Harrison. <laughs> I, somehow I thought, you know, all the kids went to the same place, you know. <laughs> well, there we were, immediately thrown without any question into the outside world, that swirling, fantastic world of the organization. And I arrive on the third floor. I mean, the school had three floors. You know, millions of guys going up the elevators and stuff. And they're spreading out and fanning out. I'm looking, looking. The guys are chicks. Oh, wow. I can't describe to you the impact of high school girls on a 13-year-old kid who's... I mean, real high school girls, you know, they've been around there for a couple of years, you know. And you're used to Esther Jane Alberry, you know. And, you, you know, you, somehow you're in the grown-ups with you. You're with the people, the big people that tell dirty stories, you know, and they say, hey, hey, kid, you know, <laughs> and you pretend like you know, you know. <laughs> oh, boy, sitting in the back of the school bus, and the kids are telling the rotten stories, and you're going, ha, 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 and you don't know what it is you're laughing at, and they're belting you. <laughs> well, well, there I am, you see, in room 220, and sitting at the head of room 220 is this little gnarled, completely self-contained lady who had run homeroom classes since about 1905. 400,000 kids have come through her own little assembly line, and she didn't relate to any of them. Just sat there. I, you know, I've got my little card, and it's 8.15, and the bells are ringing, and kids are all, you know, the, you know the cool cats that have been there for years are sitting back there, and hey, 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 Chuck, for God's sakes, hey, what are you doing around? Looking around, way in the back, my name begins with S. I'm in the last seat already, and I'm, I'm trying to make contact. And Miss Snyder gives us our indoctrination. It consisted of this. All of you will come up now and get your registration cards. You seniors, you juniors and sophomores have registered last spring, so you'll get the cards and the classes that you've registered for. The incoming freshmen will be given their cards. You're already assigned to classes. All right, now, starting with you, Abel. Come on, let's go. 
the kids get up, you know, and they're that nice, wonderful, easy, casual quality of the people who know the jungle. Have you ever taken a new job? And all those people seem to know everything. It's all smooth. I'll bet a lot of you sitting right here in the limelight feel a lot of these other people sitting around know the scene, you know? You know, this is, this is their scene. And so these kids all get up and they walk through and they get the cards. And I get this card. Let me tell you what happened. It's, it's, it scarred me for life. I get this card. And it said the first hour had, had it all listed, you know, eight periods of classes. And at 8.35, Shepard was to appear at Biology 1. Biology 1, you know, it's a freshman, freshman course, Biology 1. And next to it, it said Miss Crystal Reader. <laughs> you know, this is not exactly the same as arithmetic. You don't want to say to Miss Snyder, what is biology? <laughs> and under, right after that, it said Algebra 1. Algebra 1. I am saying that for the full import to sink into any other X victims out there. <laughs> X plus Y equals 1. <laughs> determine the value of X and determine the value of Y. D over X is equal to Y over C times L equals 17. Determine... Well, it said, Mr. Pittenger. These names were just names, you know, at that point. Mr. Pittenger, Mr. Pittenger, Miss, <laughs> Miss Crystal Reader. Then there was somebody named Mr. Harris who Josway tangled with. And then at, the, at just before noon, it said swimming. Miss M. L. Scott. I repeat, Miss M. L. Scott. Well, I, I had an eye inkling something was a little wrong, you know. It's, 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 it, 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 even, the jung, even the creature that is unschooled in the jungle knows, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're all human. You know, I, I said, well, you know, I'm just a little kid. I'm sitting back there, and the bell rings, and everybody goes, boom, you know, they go out. There's that great, and I'm in the hall. The next thing I know, ooh, you know, and the kids are running. <laughs> My mother had given me a notebook, you know. What are you going to do with a notebook, you know? Notebook, you know, I got a notebook. So, <laughs> I'm on my way to biology one, you know. It's like, here it comes. You know. I stand there in front of it, and there's the room number 17, and you can smell the smell of a biology laboratory. You know, it's like an old gym in heat. <laughs> and <laughs> that's spelled with a G Y M. It's not gym. We know old gym. It's all right. He's been in heat since he was 12. It's okay, friends. <laughs> this is terrible. I don't know what's the matter here. <laughs> so, so, so I, I, I'm in. I, here, here I am, you know, with, with Miss with Crystal Reader. Now, in my high school, they had teachers who were diametrically opposed to the grade school teachers. Miss Crystal Reader, do any of you? Now, I'm, I'm, it's going to sound like I'm inventing this. I'm telling you, this is a God's honest truth. Do you remember the Bride of Frankenstein? I'm serious, with the, with the hair that sticks up? Well, Miss Reader had hair that stuck straight up, and it had a white streak down the middle. And she was maniacally involved and, in fact, in love with the Anopheles mosquito. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the only thing that made her go, you know? She'd, she'd talk about the life history of the swamp. She had a thing. <laughs> well, 
Well, I, I walk in and it's completely opaque to me. You know, I'm sitting back there and the kids and she's talking about notebooks. She's talking about workbooks. They don't have workbooks in sixth grade. Talking about laboratories. She says, you've got to get a laboratory notebook, workbook. Go down to the bookstore, get number 16, ask for the laboratory workbook number one. She pulls down the chart and she says, now the first thing that we're going to take up, I want you to get your workbook. First thing we're taking up is the mechanics of reproduction. which is something I had been wondering about, you know. And I thought for the first time, you know, school's making sense. <laughs> you know, this was not quite like civics. It was <laughs> and so she says, all right. And by the way, she was the kind of lady, whenever she mentioned certain things, got very red. And so she says, the quality that... Now, now, all right, she says, now, all of you are going to get your workbooks, and on, on Friday afternoons, we'll have a laboratory session. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, we'd had a few lab sessions up to that point in seventh grade. I'll never forget one night after. But, but there it was. And, and you know, it's the feeling of being totally inadequate. Have you recognized within your own experience there's always at least nine people in any new situation seem to have been there before? You know what I mean? You go into a typing class and eight kids can type 40 words a minute already, automatically. They got, you know. You go into a, you go to an English lit class, they've, somehow they've read all of Shakespeare. And they're on speaking terms with the teacher first name basis right away. And there's about nine kids who've made the scene. They're all saying, oh, Miss Reader, Miss Reader, uh, uh, would you play? And she said, yes, I'm glad you asked that, Chester. Chester already. It's Chester, and I'm back there, this little blot in the horizon in the darkness, you know, next to the mosquito tank. I'm sitting there. <laughs> By the way, speaking of mosquito tanks, what radio station is this, friends? AM and FM, New York. By God, it's New York. I don't want anybody to mistake it. This is the Big Apple. Well, I'm sitting back there just completely opaque. The whole first class goes by me without any, any context at all. Nothing. I'm just in a, in a world. The second class comes up, and let me tell you, it was diametrically opposed. Now, I'm not inventing this. I, I am, I'm telling you an actual story of the first feeling of imminent disaster and total failure is looming over the horizon. And it's coming closer and closer to you like a Greek tragedy. It's like an enormous iceberg coming at you. You can't go either way. It stretches 20 miles. And I, I walk in and I sit down in a class. There were 36 of us. I remember distinctly because of later developments. And standing up in front of his desk with arms crossed, is Mr. Pittenger. This was the first male teacher I had ever had. Up to this time, it had been a succession of Miss Baileys and Miss Fife's, and now Mr. Pittenger. I come in, and he's just standing up by the desk. Up to that point, incidentally, I had developed, as a kid, a tricky little look in my eye which made my Aunt Kate always think I was cute. You know how kids develop little shticks? <laughs> little, you know, they, they say, my mother will say, well, what's that? Can you hear out there? I just want to check the PA system. What we had developed 
all of us kids in eighth grade different things that made us live and exist with the Miss Pipes, the Miss Shields. Like one kid had a great grin. Sit back there. <laughs> he grinned at everything the teacher said. You see, this was George Doppler. He was the grinner. And absolutely, it's complete chowder head. You know, there was, there was nothing but cheesecake between the ears. But George got by with this. You know, and, and Miss Shields, I remember, she just couldn't say, shut up, George. She'd look at him and she'd melt. Well, I got by by a kind of crooked little thing that I had developed that had always gone over well with my Aunt Kate. It was the thing that my grandmother loved, a kind of little crooked thing like this. <laughs> you know, see how cute that is? Right away you love me. Look at that. The whole crowd loves me right here. You know, immediately I ought to come out like this. I could make the Johnny Carson show with this thing. They just say, Dolly in on him. Get it quick. I'd be a hit overnight, you know. You know, that little thing, like, don't hit me. I'm just little. I'm little and fat, and I'm, I'm cute. I'm <laughs> well, I sit back there, you know, and I start turning it on. Just... Well, Pittenger walked back and forth, and I could see every kid in the class is doing his shtick. You know? <laughs> Doppler is there. Yeah. You know, and other kids have little things with their ears, you know. Some girls automatically cried, you know. They became actresses, you know. It's a very fun. They sit there and cry a little bit like they're so sad about being away from home and mother, and they're in this terrible, incomprehending, insensitive world. And I'm sitting there. And Pettinger's just walking. Walking back and forth. We're here to learn algebra. There was never any question of learning in Miss Bailey's classes. It was just a matter of being, you know. You went through it. She says, we're here to learn algebra. Our textbook is this. And he had this little, rotten, sweaty, brown book that he began to pass out, one after the other. You know, you're used to, you know the, the books you get in school, in, in grade school, which shows Johnny and Jill running over the hill to get seven red apples, and it shows the red apples, you know. Well, I start looking through the algebra book for the pictures, you know. You know, a kid immediately gets a line on how rotten it's going to be by the, by the illustrations, you know, I look at nothing. There's a lot of numbers and stuff, you know. Example one and numbers, numbers. I'm going to, and you could see, you could see, you see, we had, we had the school system where the books were owned by the city, you know, they were used by one generation after the other. And I got this fantastic tear-stained book. <laughs> you know, you could just see it was a suffering, you know, it was like some, some ancient runic tablet. You know, that suffering and weeping had gone into this thing. And I get this book and I'm sitting back there and Pittenger says, Now, algebra is the language of symbols. I will now draw on the board a symbol. <laughs> that is a symbol. Not one of us even knew what the word symbol meant, you know. The language of what? You know what? We thought of guys going boing, boing, you know. 
about about nine kids played the cymbal in our little band, you know, back in fourth grade, where they hit tin cans together, beat on Mother Oak tins and stuff like that, you know. He says, this is a cymbal. Okay. <laughs> That's simple enough. This is a cymbal. Why? There's two of them. <laughs> it's getting confused already, you know. Here's another symbol. C. Now, X plus Y equals C. That is an equation. Already my boat is down. It's sinking. The water is up to my knees, and I'm bailing, you know. I'm looking up. My mother had had one word for me when I left. She says, now listen to the teacher. I'm listening like mad, you know, and already I'm, I'm about a semester and a half behind. <laughs> X plus Y equals C. He says, now, if X is equal to 1 and Y is equal to 2, what is C equal to? Uh, 1, what is X equal to? And he looks around, and you know that look that teachers have of looking for a victim? <laughs> and every guy immediately gets little, you know, or, or gets very busy or very involved. You know, it's that, it's that evading embarrassment right away. And I'm, I'm very involved, you know. And he says, you, uh, the back one over there. And he's got Joshua. <laughs> well, there is Joshua standing up, and you can see the harpoon right through him. <laughs> You know, the poor little kid, he's up, he says, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't hear the question. Already the kid's on his way, you know. He's in Congress now, by the way. <laughs> he's, he's already got the evasive action going. You know, he's got, he's got dust flying. <laughs> so I didn't hear the question. Well, Mr. Pittenger says X equals 1, Y equals 2. What does C equal if X plus Y equals C? There's a long pause. And Joshua said, one what? <laughs> oh, listen to him here. They're applauding to Hootspot, his kid. <laughs> he says, one what? He says, all right, sit down, sit down. And Joshua sits down. Ooh, what relief, you know. <laughs> he says, sit down. All right, now you, you. And he gets little Esther Jane Alberry. Well, she was a weeper. And she stands up and she says, three. He said, what? She says, if X is equal to one and Y is equal to two, then C must be three. He says, correct. Every one of us was dumbfounded. Completely. This was the first time Esther Jane had answered a question. We knew her for 19 years in grades. Little did we realize she was in her element. And all the smart kids are sunk. Little dumb Esther Jane has got it. She's got it knocked in algebra. It's a new language, you know. And I says, what, what, what? All of our, everything is crumbling. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like the little dumb kid is suddenly the star. The, the kid that's a star is suddenly a bum. I don't know what to make. And I'm sitting back there like this, and Pittenger is walking around, just looking down. Not a, not a flicker of emotion. What a teacher. <laughs>
He was great. No, I really, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, there was never anything I learned like algebra. It's fantastic. I, I, I do equations in my sleep sometimes. When, when a siren goes past, you know, and there's a little fear, I say, X plus Y is a high driver. I say, quantitative analysis, Mr. Richard. I start whipping out equations, triple equations. I can do them all, believe me. And so Pittenger walks back and forth, and he said, all right, by tomorrow afternoon, when we will meet the next time, I want you to do number one, three, six, and nine. I want you to skip every other example in the first section of basic equations. Are there any questions? Have you ever had that ask you? And your questions are so big. So the first question is, what am I doing here, Mr. Pittenger? Don't hit me, please. I, please, Mr. Pittenger, are you going to beat us? Nothing. Any questions? There were none. Well, as we filed out, it was, it was wild to see. It was that first feeling that I, it's an old familiar one with me now. That feeling of a large number of people who are with it and a small but tight minority of the lost and defeated. Guess where I was? And we all sort of walked out, and there were a lot of kids were, you know, with the spring, and I was scared. Oh, boy, this is terrible. And then the next class, we go into something called Geography One. And I'm thinking, you know, geography is about the principal exports of Asia are rice. You know, that kind of stuff. The principal export of America is fun. <laughs> that kind of stuff. And they start talking about meanders and moraines and strata of, of rock. And oh, wow, you know, this is at school, Mom. What are you talking about? Well, by that night, you know, I get home and my mother says, I am terrified. I'm, I can't tell you how fantastic terror in my gut. It's that sickness. That, you know, that sickness in your gut that you're going to get called on? That terrible thing? Well, I get home and my mother says, how was school? It's fun. It's fun. She says, well, how do you like being in high school with all the big kids? It's fun. She says, well, why don't you go out and play? There I am sitting near the hot air register. The first time in my life I, honest to God, worried. I was worried sick. Well, the next day we go in, and I can't understand x plus y minus d is equal to 4 over 2. I can't. What is this stuff? You know, I, I just, it just makes no sense. You know that terrible feeling of no sense, and you ad lib it. You start writing things like x, y plus 1 equal 2, and you go in the back where it says answers. And you try to figure it out from the answer how they got it, you know. And you can't quite make it. And I, I get one. And I say, oh, wow, you know, I, it's a fantastic feeling. And the next day I arrive, I hand in my paper that's just covered with stuff. You know, oh, you know, the kid learns very early in life to ad lib. How many guys listening to me right now are in offices and you are phoning every last lousy report you ever made? I know guys that are phoning presentations to this day up on Madison Avenue. Just tremendous volumes of wonderful things that are happening, and they have no relationship to what's going on. You know, they said, you know, in the beginning there was. <laughs> well, there I am. I hand the paper in, and it comes back the next day.
with red lines drawn through them. And it said, work the problem. That's all it said. Work the problem. One right. Well, we're already now on Thursday, you see. And they have given us three more papers. They start coming back and they start piling up, you know, work the problem, work the problem. And I keep ad-libbing and he never says a word. And therein lay the greatest trap I've ever run into. Pittenger never called anybody in. He never looked angry. He just sending the papers back. Well, it began to build up, and about, I'd say, roughly the middle part of November, I figured I was pulling it over him. That I figured I was on my way. I had passed about three of those little exams, you know, they give, you know, the little bits, the little things on, on Wednesday. He says, we'll have an oral exam. What is X and Y? And you answer it. You say, I'm home free. Until, I'd say, the last week of November. And it is to those kids that I'm directing this. Our grades were coming out just before Christmas. And Mr. Pittenger, one day, had written on the board 17 names. I came in, you know, I'm real, you know, by now I'm real snotty. I know everything. High school, you know, I know it all. I can, you know. I'm out for freshman football, and I'm hitting guys again, you know? I feel real good, and I come in, and there's all those names, you see? I look, you know, I'm used to my name being on list. You know, it's funny how kids, as they come up through grade school, develop the idea that they're always on the honor list. Whenever their name is appearing, it's a good thing. Like, they're going to make the scenery for the play. You know? They're going to do something good. And there were those 17 names. Mr. Pittenger opened the class. He said... Now, before we go on with the lessons in quadratics, quadratics, <laughs> isn't that a terrible word even now to some? <laughs> so before we go into quadratics again, these people here on the board, please see me immediately after class. Whose name led all the list? There it was. There was Alex. There was George Doppler. There were other poor, simple, penitent travelers who figured that their smile had done it by now, you see. Because he never did anything. He never said anything. He didn't hit. He didn't lash out. He just looked as bland. By the way, Esther Jane Alberry was like seven laps ahead of the class, and he looked as mad at her as he did Doppler. This is where it happened, the euchre, you know. This was the final cul-de-sac. And so after the class... Everybody walks out, and there are the 17 of us sitting there. Each one of us has got his thing. Yeah. It was, he had culled out of the class the 17 phonies. And we're all sitting there, you know, with our bit. Guys, look at the ear, you know. One guy, you know, he's got a funny little thing with his pencil. And we're all working the shtick like mad, you know. And he says, all right. All 17 of you are going to fail algebra. Boom! Wow! You know, it was like all of a sudden you're all these little bowling pins and the ball has come, you know. Boom! We're bow! You know? He said, you're all going to fail algebra. It was the first time in my life that I had ever failed anything. 
I was notable in my family as the smart one. You know, the smart kid, they always say, he knows. I, I built radios and stuff like that. Somehow that's always parallel with being smart. Being a smart aleck is called being smart in many families. You know, I'd, I'd have a smart crack. Ah, knock it off. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> ah, your father's mustache. You know, that kind of stuff. He says, he's a he's smart one. Say something funny, genie. And then I'd come up with a funny bit. Pittenger was not buying. He was, you know, and he says, he says, all right. You are going, the, the group here, he says, the 17 in this group are going to fail algebra. Now, that will mean that you will take algebra again next semester. He said, I will tell you this. If you will complete the problems and the questions and the examples that all of you have not completed during the semester, you will get a D. That means i got to do the whole semester of the stuff I phonied up, and only then would I get a D. You know, it's like telling you if, you, if you come here and confess, we'll only cut off your ears. I'm so, oh, what a moment. You know, I can imagine myself going home and saying, you know, what, what are you going to say? That is the, then, crux of it. Home. How many of you? have hidden things from home throughout all of your life. If they really knew what you're doing here in the big city, how can you explain it, you know? Well, there I am going home from school. Mr. Pittenger has given all of our papers back, and he has just walked out of the room. There's no mercy. There's no turning back. And so we're riding back on the bus, and here are these other kids, the kids who are home scot-free. And they're happy. Have you ever had that feeling of seeing other people that are happy, and you've got a weight on you? It's like you suspect you got cancer. And you say, look at him, he's healthy. Yeah, he's right, he's going to live another six weeks, you know. Yeah, you know, everybody's got, you know, of course, at that point anyway, at about 13 years old, you never think you're going to reach 21 anyway. Every kid of 13 thinks he's going to die before he gets to be 21. And in addition to that, if he doesn't, he will go blind. And when he goes blind, he will do it heroically. You know, and then they'll feel sorry. Either that or you figure your mother and father are going to die. You know, it's all tied up. And so I'm in, I'm in the bus and I'm sitting there and, ooh, wowie, what a fear. What a sick fear. The fear of that note coming home, Genie has failed algebra. I've been on every known list of good guys ever since I was five. Now I am failing. And I sit back there at home eating my red cabbage and my hamburger. My kid brother is making with the, you know, that, that, that happy sound. The sound of people who are not about to die. And he's sitting there eating the red cabbage. I'm sick. I can't eat. My mother says, what's the matter? What's your food? Come on now, eat, Jeannie. Are you sick? Aren't you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm fucking algebra. I'm a rotten, stinking phony all those weeks when I sit in the front bedroom with them papers. I'm making model airplanes. I'm futzing around. I'm not doing nothing. I'm just done. 
No. A phony is a phony to the last. And I'm saying nothing, nothing, Ma, nothing, nothing. Hey, uh, wait, excuse me, Pete. <laughs> nothing, Ma. Well, the next day, I go back to Pittenger's class. I have done about five of the papers and have handed them in, and he just takes them without a word. Just without a word. And then, after three days of this, he said, you will know your grade after the Christmas holiday. Well, let me tell you, sitting next to that Christmas tree, my kid brother with the fire truck, you know, hey, look at that. I'm sitting there. They gave me everything, you know, and I'm sitting there. It's all ashes. Just... I remember standing in front of Marshall Field. It's, 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 it's so, em, so emblazoned in my memory. We're standing in front of Marshall Fields just before Christmas. It's like the day before. And you know how these department stores have these fantastic displays, the Walt Disney bit, you know, with all the seven dwarfs, Grumpy and Doc and everything, and Santa Claus is going, ha, 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 oh, ho, 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 Merry Christmas! And I'm looking up there. And he's laughing, and you can hear jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. And the happy crowds are moving up and down. And my kid brother saying, hey, Ma, gee whiz, look at that daisy air rifle, Ma. And I'm seeing nothing. I'm, 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 I'm standing there thinking to myself that very shortly my entire family is going to hate me. That I am a pariah. They don't know what a leper, what a rotten skunk they're with. What a rotten, phony. Wait till this I'm standing there. Well, the day finally arrives. It came closer and closer and closer and closer, and finally, there it was. I arrived in Miss Snyder's homeroom class, and she had the report cards. Friends, I want to ask you a question. How would it be at BBDNO or YNR or wherever it is that you're phoning it up? How would it be if they started to give out a report card every semester and they sent it home that says deportment, concentration, drinking habits, you know, that kind of thing, adjustment? to committee meetings, <laughs> ideas, all the way down the line. Well, kids, you know, they give out these report cards, and there they are. Do you remember that feeling of sitting in a class? And up there on the desk is a pile of yellow things, just sitting there. And you know that in that pile, there is the guillotine. <laughs> or maybe there's a wreath. I don't know, you know, but it's there. It's there waiting for you, and there's no escaping. Well, Miss Snyder said, all right, alphabetically, let's go. Abel, she gives him his three report cards. He comes up, you know, that great grin. He comes running back. He's got that smile of that, the junior, you know, who's really got it knocked. Sits down. Abel, Atkinson, Anderson, it's getting closer, closer. Lemnitzer, Meyer, all the way down, and all of a sudden... There it was, Samuelson, Senderman, Shepherd. 
You know that terrible feeling? Like something fantastic has happened in your underwear? I'm walking up. Come on, hurry it up, hurry it up. And hands me the cards. And I go back and sit down. Biology one. That's nothing, you know. I love biology with the worms and the frogs and the reproduction. This is my meteor, you know. B plus. I look like this. Here it is, algebra one. I open it up. C. 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 I'm home free. Miss Snyder, I passed. I got a C. I sat back down in my seat. And at cold sweat, I have fooled them again. I have fooled them again. Listen to the phonies applauding here. And speaking of fooling them again, we're here at the limelight down in Greenwich Village. We'll be here for another hour. If you want to make the scene, come on down. Even now, you can hear them yelling with that fantastic sound of hate. Listen to it. We'll be, oh, what a mob. Phonies, everyone, all algebra students here. We'll be back in five minutes after the news. This is WOR New York, your station for news. Now a word from Show Magazine. Who will really elect our next president in November? How great is the influence of our computer analysis upon the nation's voters? What is the real danger of the computer to the democratic process? In the current issue of Show Magazine, noted author and columnist Max Lerner implores these and other, rather explores these and other important aspects of the use of computers in forecasting election results. Don't miss Beware of TV's Election Monster in the current issue of Show Magazine. Also in this month's show, you'll enjoy Susie, the saucy society columnist, as she romps through the jet set upsetting apple carts from Miami to Monaco. And then, too, you'll preview the screenplay of the much-discussed French movie, Special Friendships, the outstanding film which has been invited to be shown at the Cannes Film Festival later this year. It's all in the September issue of Show Magazine on sale now. Look for Barbara Streisand on the cover. This is WOR AM and FM in New York, your RKO General Station. For real fun at bargain prices, come on over to Palisades Amusement Park. There are free circus acts, free dancing, free parking, and admission is still only 30 cents. Powered flight or a trip to the moon? Yesterday's dream, today's accomplishment. This is the aerospace age, and you have an important share in it. Your volunteer help is needed in many of the worthwhile projects of the Civil Air Patrol. To find out about the civilian auxiliary of the U.S. Air Force, visit your CAP unit at the Yonkers Armory, Yonkers, New York, Wednesday evening. It's 11 o'clock. Good evening, 11 p.m. Here is the late hour news, Ed Pettit reporting. What began as a minor traffic dispute last night in the Negro section of Philadelphia has since resulted in rioting and looting with damage running to more than half a million dollars. 
The mayor has imposed a round-the-clock curfew with penalty of two years in jail for violation, but it's being largely ignored. Trouble continues in spite of the best effort of Negro leaders who say it's hoodlum-inspired. Here's a late report from the scene by John Schubeck. Despite the efforts of more than 1,500 law enforcement officers, efforts to quell rioting and looting in North Philadelphia have not been successful. A rash of police injuries have been reported, and the arrest total has now climbed above the 200 mark. But as yet, it's been impossible to prevent outbreaks of rock-throwing, looting, window-breaking, and attacks on police. The mayor's curfew imposed on a six-square-mile area has largely been ignored. Along the periphery of the curfew zone, where those on the streets risk a two-year jail sentence, gangs of Negro youths have attacked tap rooms, smashed windows, and pilfered the liquor inside. The city-owned trolley was stopped and robbed in one area, its windows then smashed. Fires have been set in shops throughout the riot zone. The seriousness of the trouble seems not to have diminished tonight. With each hour of the evening, the reports of assist officer on the police radio become more and more frequent. This is John Schubeck reporting from Philadelphia. Here in New York, three men were rushed to Flushing Hospital tonight for treatment of an apparent overdose of heroin. 17-year-old Richard Penn's address unknown was dead on arrival. 25-year-old Ronald Wilkerson, since transferred to Queens General, is in serious shape. And Thomas Vasiaioa fared somewhat better and was due to be released soon. The trio were brought in from Chisholm Park in College Point, Queens. Police said it looked like an overdose of narcotics. Detectives are run into a stone wall in their efforts to obtain clues or motives for the bludgeon killing this morning of 68-year-old Miss Malvina Hayhurst. No signs of robbery, everything in complete order. The body was found on the floor of her locked apartment on Broadway in Brooklyn. Fifteen blocks away, 48 hours ago, the knife slaying of another older woman, 63-year-old Helen Davis, and their speculation the two killings may be connected. The Beatles had the kids jumping again tonight at Forest Hills, Queens, but aside from the noise, it all passed without incident, and welcome relief it was for police, who for two days now have been trying to keep the girls from invading the Delmonico Hotel at Park and 59th to get a glimpse of their favorites. Next stop, Atlantic City. Lucy Baines Johnson says she'll head back to Washington before the Beatles invade. Her father was the center of a big birthday party in Stonewall, Texas tonight, where he and his running mate, Senator Hubert Humphrey, helped the assembled crowd do away with some three tons of barbecued meat. Mr. Johnson said he expects a rough campaign, but will not indulge in fear or smear. Taking it easy, too, is Republican White House hopeful Senator Barry Goldwater. He was skeet shooting with a rifle and bottle popping with a pistol aboard a borrowed yacht off California today, but he interrupted his leisure long enough to blast the administration for declining, as he put it, to answer politically embarrassing questions about the present trouble in Vietnam. Members of a Quebec independence movement killed two clerks in a Montreal gun shop they raided for weapons today. Montreal police later caught four of the five men. Turning now to sports, in baseball, the Cubs beat the Mets 4-3, the Yanks beat Boston 10-2 and 6-1. Two French horses, Ozo and Martini II, won tonight's Challenge Cup races at Roosevelt Raceway in the Daily Double number 7, Meadow Hart and number 1, Palette. Now the weather forecast for New York City and vicinity. Fair, warm, and humid tonight, tomorrow, and tomorrow night, except for some morning clouds tomorrow. And Monday, according to the weatherman, should be a nice day. Present Manhattan reading, 76 degrees, humidity 69%. The THI stands at 72, wind from the southeast at 7 miles an hour, and the barometer reads 30.09 inches and is steady. 
That's the Late Hour News, the 11 p.m. edition. Ed Pettit reporting. Have a nice weekend. In a moment, back to Gene Shepard at the Village Limelight. WOR New York, your station.